Amen. Good morning, Moraine Valley Church. Good morning to everybody joining us online. And we just sang an amazing song. That he loves us more than we can think and more than we can imagine. In fact, there's a prayer in Ephesians 3 where God talks about us comprehending that love and that he's able to do more than we can think or imagine. And that's my prayer for this morning. Let me open us in prayer again. Father, I believe what we're going to talk about today, to make a difference at the core of our being is a work of the Holy Spirit, not a good sermon from Pat. Lord, as your truth goes forth this morning, I want to ask you to hold up the mirror in our lives and show us where it applies to us personally. And God, I pray you'd break down walls and you would break down strongholds and wrong ways of thinking. And Father, that somehow by the Holy Spirit of God, we'll be able to comprehend the love of God that's beyond comprehension. So Lord, I just uh, thank you. You say when that happens, we're filled up to the fullness of God. We long for that this morning, Father. And I thank you that you're able to do exceeding abundant above and beyond all that we could imagine or think. So Lord, I ask you this morning, would you do that with this message? I give it to you. I acknowledge my inability to change a life, to reach a heart. But God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit and your word can do that. And I ask you for your namesake, for your glory, and for the sake of your people, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your church, for the sake of this world, would you do something this morning that only you can do in our lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus said some amazing things. Sometimes you got to stop and say, did he really say that? Did he really mean that? And the passage we're going to talk about this morning really fits that bill. It's one of those passages you say, whoa, did Jesus really say that? Did he, did he mean that? And it's a passage that really is going to touch some of what Pastor Mike taught us last week as we have a paradigm we're looking at this year as we're starting to recalibrate the way we look at discipleship at Moraine Valley and looking through the paradigm and the lens of be, become, and do. Be with Jesus. Remember Jesus, when he selected his disciples, what did he say? He said, I chose them to be with me. <laughs> and so being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, what happens to a disciple when they're fully grown? They become like their teacher. And so part of discipleship and the end goal of discipleship is becoming like Jesus. And then doing in the Great Commission, what do you say? Teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. The heart of discipleship is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing all that Jesus had commanded us to do, do what Jesus would do. And the passage we're going to look at this morning really fits into that perfectly when we look at that lens. So turn to John 15. Open your Bibles this morning. You've got to see it. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody near you. Look on your phone. I think... We used to have them underneath in the chairs. I see some scattered throughout. You're going to want to look at your Bible this morning. 
We're going to start in John 15. That amazing passage where Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. And that apart from him, we can do nothing. So we need to abide in Jesus. And then he comes to the end of that teaching. And he, and, and he well, I shouldn't say end of it. It's really in the middle of it. And he adds a thought to it. And I'm going to be in verse 9 of John 15 and listen to this. Watch closely in the text. The Father has loved me. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Is that what your Bible says? No. What's your say? What? Louder. Okay, remain in your love. I wanted you actually catch the two words I didn't say at the start. You see, if we just say the Father loved me, does Jesus saying the Father loved me, I also love you? Say, yeah, the Father loved Jesus, and Jesus loves me. But if you take those first two words, just as, that's a marker that, that shows a similarity with something, an accordance with something, a comparison with something, and what Jesus is saying, the same way the Father loves me is the way that I love you. Did you catch that? That's big. The same way that God the Father loves Jesus is the way that Jesus loves us. I'm going to say it up early. Maybe I'll say it a few more times. The love between the Trinity is the love they share with us. I got to tell you, in my mind, when I think about God's love, I think of he loves Jesus way up here. And he loves me a lot too. And I'm like here. Because, you know, I've messed up and I've screwed up and I've hurt others and I've hurt myself and I've failed on God. So I think he loves me, but that love is like this. What this passage is saying, as much as the Father loves Jesus, and yes, Jesus is worthy of it, the Father loves me just as much. Even though I may not be, well, I'm not going to say may, I'm not worthy of that kind of love. But that's the kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. And that's the heart of our message this morning. Really, you could leave after that little statement because that's basically what we're going to say over and over again this morning. But I want you to understand this morning just as much in the same way just as the Father loved Jesus, that's the way Jesus loves you and me. And then he tells us, it goes on here. And uh, well, let me, before I do that, let me, let me take you to another page. Turn over to John 17, just a couple pages over. We see the same idea. John 17 Verse 23. I in them and you in me. That's Jesus speaking in context. Jesus saying, I'm in the believers and Father, you're in me. That they may be perfected in unity. Now look, listen to what happens when unity is in the church. So that the world the people that don't know Jesus 
when they look at a church that's unified and loving one another, they'll know that you sent me. Did you know that when the world sees a church loving one another, that there's something that happens in them saying, you know, God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the one sent from God. But there's a second thing that happens. Look at this. Not only that the world may know that you sent me, but the world may know that you love them. Now he's into the third person again. The world might know that he loved them. Us believers, even as you have loved me. You know what? There's something about the church when we walk together in love and humility and unity with one another as the world looks in. They recognize, wow, God really loves those people. He loves them just as much as he loves Jesus. Then look at down in verse 26. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known. In other words, Jesus say, Father, I'm making you known to, to these. So that why? The love with which you loved me. Father, the same love with which you love me may be in them. The exact same love, the exact same way, the exact same extent of love that the Father had for Jesus may be in them. Now, I, I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not sure how that all works out. I just know it's true. When the love that the Father had for Jesus is in me, does that mean that I can actually grow to the place of loving Jesus like the Father loved Jesus? Or does it mean that that's the kind of love we express because that kind of love is in us? It could be one or the other, or maybe both. But all I know is one thing, is that it's an amazing thing that the exact same love which the Father loved Jesus with is the kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. Now look back at verse nine again in chapter 15. After he says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you or abide or remain or continue. That's what the word abide means. Continue in my love. Wow. Man, sit in that for a while. Stay here. Make yourself at home in this amazing love that Jesus has for you and me that's just as much as the Father. That's what he's saying. Stay there. Remain there. Sit in it. Abide in it. Continue in it. But then he tells us how we continue in that in the next verse. If you keep my commandments, you will abide or remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the way that we remain or stay or make ourselves at home in this amazing love of God for us is the same way Jesus stayed within the love of the Father, and that's by walking in obedience to him. Now you might say, ah, there's the catch. God only loves me if I obey him. And, and you're saying, man, I don't, I don't do that well. You know, I'm here and there and sporadic or I, you know, none of us are perfect in our, so evidently maybe God doesn't love me that much because I don't walk in that obedience. 
You know what? You got to look back at the text and notice that love precedes the abiding. The truth that just like the Father loved the Son, and in the same way the Son loves you and I, precedes the fact of abiding and continuing and remaining and making my heart at home with that truth. Look it down at verse 11, because he completes the thought. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you. Are you grumpy? Are you sad? Are you always off? Are you always, uh, life is this? Guess what? The possibility of Jesus' very joy residing in my heart is here. And he said, I've, seen these, I've said these things so that my joy may be new and that your joy may be made full. You know what he's talking about? He's not talking about the fact that God stops loving you because you disobey him. He's talking about the ability to enjoy God's love. I say this to you so that your joy may be full because like the Niagara Falls is, and you're underneath it and God's love is just pouring out and being lavished upon us, that can be there. But you know what we can do? We can get out of that boat. If you've ever been in that boat where you get drenched, I never went in the boat, but I was on the side just watching. I could feel the mist hitting me. But you know what, when you start to move back in the parking lot and you start to drive away, guess what? You can walk away from that experience. God's love is constantly poured out on us. His love precedes and overweighs our obedience. But to enjoy God's love and to be at home in it, and to walk in it moment by moment and experience it in a way in my life that makes it, God, you're unbelievable. That takes walking with God. You know, there's only two ways I know that um, we can walk away from the experience of the joy of God's love. One is disobedience, we see it here. And I'm not talking about I tripped up, you know, I'm trying to walk with God and I, this morning I missed my quiet time or something. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about blatant saying, God, you can put it in your face, I'm walking over here. You know, as the, the farther away we get from walking with him, the less we experience the joy of his love. The other way is this, when you try to earn his love, because we're just, it's already there. And once you move from a place of just sitting in that and enjoying that and abiding in his love, and you start to say, well, you know what? I got to perform because, you know, I had a parent or a mate that was a perfectionist and enough was never enough. Praise God that Jaira's enough. I'm not enough, but he's enough, right? And so here we are, and many of us have had parents And so we've been trained and it's been built into us for decades and we feel like we're never enough and we gotta perform more, we're never good enough. And therefore what happens? It breaks away that joy of God's love because I feel like I gotta perform. Brothers and sisters, God's love precedes our performance and it's not dependent upon our performance, but our enjoyment of God's love is dependent on our obedience to him and walking with him in grace. 
And the farther we get away from walking with him, the less and less joy we experience of his love. I love it. We were talking about this passage a couple weeks ago on our staff. Dave Lenahan gave a beautiful illustration. <laughs> he said, it's kind of like that kid that's at the party. And there's all kinds of love going on around them. And you know what? There's just, I mean, there's games, there's food, there's candy, there's people, and there's all this love that's being poured out. And they're that kid that's got an attitude. You ever been? I've, seen, I've been to parties. They've been there. And somehow they're, they're you know what? And they're missing out on all the love that is right there. And so God is pouring out his love on us. He wants us to enjoy that love. He wants us to remain and abide in that love. He wants us to enjoy it to its depths. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in the next verse. And he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another. You want to know what the heart of Jesus' commandment is? Love one another. Just as, in the same way, in accordance with the way I've loved you. So here we go. It starts here. It starts, the Father loves Jesus like this. Jesus takes that same love and loves us like that. And now he's telling us to take that same love that Jesus has for us and to love one another with the same love. We see what Jesus talked about this just a couple chapters before in chapter 13 when he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The newness is not loving one another. The newness is the standard. <laughs> the standard of loving one another the way that Jesus loves us and Jesus loves us like the Father. So if you want to take it this way, the Father loves Jesus and he pours that on Jesus. Jesus takes that same love and pours it on us and then we're to take that same love and pour it on one another and reciprocally back to one another. That's what Jesus is teaching us. We live that way we're going to experience the fullness of the joy and the love of God. Then he explains to us in verse 13, what, is, what does this love look like? Well, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You want to know what love looks like? You know, love, we can throw that around. We can come up with our own definitions. We can construct our own. But here God in his word tells us, here's the greatest form of love, is when you lay down your life for your friend. Husbands, what are we told? Lay down our life for our wives. And you know what? Here it is, uh, one friend for another, sacrificing something of myself for the benefit of someone else. And God showed us that kind of love when he sacrificed his own son, Jesus, for us. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I need to tell you, God's love for you is so big. Matter of fact, that's what John 15 says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the dearest treasure of his life and that's his own son, Jesus, to die for you and me 
so that we could have eternal life. And if you're here today and you have never come to that place where you've acknowledged your sin and separation from God and have embraced Jesus, what he did for you on the cross and put your faith in him, make today the day. We're gonna have people up here after we say, man, I haven't done that, I don't know what that looks like. Come up and talk with us, we would love to share that with you. So you can enter in to this amazing love between the Trinity <laughs> that is passed down to Jesus, that's passed down to us, that's passed to one another. I summarized this section like this. Have a PowerPoint here. Just so I can see it, I'm going to turn this way. Jesus loves us the same way the Father loves him, thus we should love each other like that as well. That's simply what this whole section's telling us. You could add to it, when we do that, we're going to experience the fullest joy and enjoyment of God's love that's possible. So what do we do with all this? You know, that's the truth of the passage. I want to talk a little bit, how does it work for you and me? There's people here, and I know I, I'm, I have been, still am, growing in it, who have struggled with the fact that God loves us. The, the idea of God's love, doesn't matter if he loves us as much as Jesus or loves me less than Jesus, the fact that he loves me is like water running off a freshly waxed car. It just doesn't penetrate, doesn't make a difference. For some, it has to do with their upbringing and their parents. Could have been a father, could have been a mother that somehow, doesn't always have to be that they were negative and bad, sometimes just passive and not giving you what you need as a child, the kind of love that you need. But some have had some terrible parents. In fact, one of the things I pray is, God, whatever damage I did to my kids, clean it up. None of us are perfect parents. <laughs> and so our kids, matter of fact, before they got married, I don't know why I'm going here, but I guess I am. Before we got married, we sat down in each one of them and had that discussion. We know, we does, where have we hurt you? We want to clean things up. We want to make sure. You know, guys, at our best, we're fallen. We're broken as parents, as mates, as whatever, friends. And many of us have been hurt and damaged by our parentage, and it's caused us unable to love. Some have had perfectionists for teachers. Some have had legalists for pastors. You know, and what happens? You know, they're saying, hey, you know what? God's never going to love you until you live up to a certain standard and performance. So they're constantly pushing what you're doing and doing enough of it and doing it right uh, so that God will love you. And that's just, that's just false teaching that damages the way we think about God's love. Perfectionists, you can never satisfy them. So what happens is, is now you say, well, you know, obviously my mom, my dad, my teacher, my husband, my wife's never satisfied with me. So I guess maybe God's never satisfied with me. We start to feel unlovable. And you know what? There's even some that because of what we have done, you know, before I knew Jesus, I, I, I didn't live like an angel. And, uh, you know, I did some things that hurt other people. And there's people here that have done things that have, you know in your heart you regret that you've done it. And now you know and you feel like, man, I'm not worthy because the things I've done or the way people respond to me and this. And so we, we have all this craziness that goes in our heads and our minds. We think, 
How could God ever love me? And so we can hear the truth that God loves me, but somehow it doesn't penetrate. I want to talk about that for a moment. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to tell you right up front what my point is before I read this passage. To comprehend God's love in a way that penetrates your heart and makes a difference is a work of the Holy Spirit that happens primarily in the context of prayer. And it's not something I study myself into. I'm going to study every verse about love in the Bible and think if I study it enough, then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get it. You can't study yourself into this. You can't, you can't even counsel yourself into this as much as it helps you sort things out. You can't figure it out. This is something that the Spirit of God has got to do in your heart. So watch for that as I read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. So he's praying, he's bowing his knee from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant. You know what grant means? Give. It's a gift. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So this prayer is about the Holy Spirit doing something deep down in my inner person. So that, why, why do I need that of the Spirit? So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, so he might settle down deeply in your home, and that you being what? Rooted and grounded in love. Important. And you being, not so that you will be. You're already rooted. You're already grounded. You're already loved by God. And so here it is, he's saying, you know what? That you, he wants the Holy Spirit to be so in control of your hearts and so at home in you, so that you who are already rooted and grounded in God's love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height of them. How big is this love thing? And to know the love of Christ at what? Which surpasses knowledge. Guys, you're not going to study this out. You're not going to figure it out. It's bigger than the human mind can comprehend. God's love for us is so big and so powerful that it surpasses the ability for a person even to understand it. So what it is, it's kind of like we get to go to the edge of the ocean. I can never grab up the whole ocean but I might be able to take a bucket of water out of it. You follow what I'm saying? So we spend the rest of our lives taking buckets of water out of the understanding of God's love, but I'm never going to fully comprehend it like I can fully embrace an ocean. So this love, to know this love of Christ which passes knowledge, why? What happens when this happens by the Holy Spirit? You'll be filled up to all the fullness of God. You want to talk about being filled with the Spirit. You want to talk about God filling your life. You want to talk about knowing the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. The, the, I can't believe I'm messing up the fruits of the Spirit. I prayed almost every day for myself, and I can't even remember it now. 
but go to Galatians and look it up for yourself. But all those wonderful fruits of the Spirit, that they would become a part of your life because God is filling you up to the fullness. And here's our song. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask in prayer or even think that he could do according to the power that works in us, that's the Holy Spirit. So this is what this is saying. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what has blocked you from experiencing the love of God to the core of your being, but God is bigger than that. This past saying God is enough. God can do it more than you could ever imagine or think or dream of. You think, oh, he could never do it. God can do it for you. He can do it for me. And he can spend the rest of our lives going to that ocean, taking out another bucket out of his love and saying, wow, God, this is awesome, as we begin to experience and understand it. Listen to what Romans 5.15 says. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There it is. Who pours out the love of God in the human heart? It's, it's the Spirit of God. So I want to encourage you, if there's something you're struggling with, begin in prayer. And dependence upon the Spirit of God to do a miracle in your heart, to break whatever prison wall you're caught in, whatever mountain that is before you, that God would break that down and pour into your heart that experience and the enjoyment of God's love for you. Now, I got to tell you another part. This is a high bar to reach. I just talked about experience. Now, how about the way I love you <laughs> and the way you love me? And the way we love each other, because Jesus said that same love that the Father had for Jesus is the same love that Jesus has for you and me, is the same love we're supposed to have for one another. That's a high bar. The capability to love one another, it is not from me, but it is within me. Let me say it this way, it might have been confusing. The capability to love one another the way that Jesus loved us, which is the way the Father loved him, it doesn't, it doesn't come from me, but he is within me. So guess what? I gotta transfer my trust from Pat trying to pull it off to Jesus himself expressing his love through me. Isn't that what Galatians 2.20 is all about? I think we put that on the screen as well. It says this, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So it doesn't come from me and the source and the flesh that Pat has, but the love of God is within me because Jesus is now within me because he's the lover himself and the life which I now live in the flesh, this life I'm living by faith or this life I'd live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. How do I live right now when I live in the flesh? How do I live when I walk with others? How do I live when I walk with my wife and my kids and my brothers and sisters? You know what, I walk not trusting somehow that it can come from me if I follow enough steps and do enough work and commit myself again and really do it hard. 
but I'm trusting someone who lives in me, the very spirit of Jesus, to express his love through me. That's the miracle of the Christian life. That's what Galatians 2.20 is telling us to do. So yeah, the bar is high, but we do that by moment by moment, allowing Jesus to fill these broken vessels. And I have one final word. A word for Moraine Valley Church. Paul said to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, you guys are doing well in the way you're loving one another. He said, but I want you to excel still the more. There you go, Susan. You thought we lost that word. That's when Paul first said that. You guys are loving each other well, but I want you to excel still the more in the way you're loving each other. And I want to say for Moraine Valley, we're loving each other well. But I want to challenge and encourage us to excel still the more in our love. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I've heard many people say, and I believe it, Moraine Valley is a friendly church. But there's a big difference between being friendly and loving my friends well and being a person that other person can make friends with and opening up my love beyond my circles. We've got some strong cliques here. And we've got some strong circles that love each other well. But brothers and sisters, that's not fulfilling the command Jesus is talking about here. Matter of fact, you need to know, if all our love is for my friends, and I'm just friendly to other people rather than a person who they can become a friend with, we're doing no better than the world is. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors, don't even tax collectors love their friends? Of course they do. It's no big deal. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. So you know what? Is it possible while we're being friendly to our friends, or I should say it's while we're loving our friends well, and just being friendly to people outside our circles, are we no better than the world? Could they possibly get that by joining some secular club in the community and find people loving their friends and having their cliques and being friendly when you walk in the door and shaking your hand saying you're glad you're here but nobody else asks you to lunch? Nobody says, can we get a coffee? Nobody has a serious conversation with you? And I'm not talking about just being new. You could have been here 20 years, but somehow you didn't make it into the circles. And you're sitting here going, I love what's happening here with, with God, but somehow I can't break in with these people because they all are loving each other real well, but I can't get in on the party. So this is my encouragement to Moraine Valley on how we can excel still the more in our love. Become a person with people outside your circles and new people, whether they've been here 20 days or 20 years. Become a person 
who you can become a friend with them. Invite them to go to coffee with you. Meet with them. Give them a call. Pray with them. Invite them into your group to go to lunch. In fact, I think that's what we heard Bob and Vicky did with the Kubos. We heard that a couple weeks ago and what that started and what that opened up and how the doors, but we you can't stop. We gotta keep it going like that, guys. That's the kind of love. And I can tell you from experience, not only will you bless somebody else, but you will be enriched. I gotta tell you about a story. Talk about getting humbled. God humbled me. Went on a mission trip with my family. Um, went down to Ecuador. Uh, we drove right to the edge of the Amazon jungles. And we were going to go visit the um, place where the missionaries, Jim Elliott and that, the Nate Saint, if you've ever read, I think it's called The Shadow of the Almighty, the story of the missionaries that were killed by the Aka Indians in the Amazons. Well, we were going to go visit that. So we were staying in a missionary home. And I remember we came down the next morning after arriving that night, we got our breakfast and looked around and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, so please forgive me. I already told you I don't love perfectly, so you'll, uh, don't get upset with me when I tell you. I'm just gonna be honest so you can get the real effect of it. So my wife came down and we're going through the line and she says, I'm gonna go sit with those two old women over there. I said, I don't wanna go sit with two old ladies. That's just, that's what I said, forgive me. Our attendance will be cut in half next week. I understand that. <laughs> but uh, I, that was my heart. I said, you know, I really don't want to sit with these two old ladies, man. You know, I just, I just want to. So I literally went and sat by myself at a table. So Kim and the kids are sitting with this woman. I kind of, God kind of said, you're an idiot, Pat. I said, you're right, God. So I went over there and sat down with these ladies. And you know who these ladies were? Now, if you know the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the rest of the group, Jim Elliott's wife Elizabeth and Rachel Saint went back to minister to the very Indians that killed their husband. Now you talk about the love of God filling you. That, that's only a God thing. And they went back there and lived right there in Tony Campari in the middle of the Amazon and they, uh, they ministered to these uh, people. Well, when they left, the two ladies at the table were the ladies that followed them. And they literally lived there for decades. And they started telling us story after story after story. And I'm like, my eyes are like this. I'm like, whoa, I've never had a breakfast. I mean, this is the most exciting. I mean, they were going down, they were, these, I, you know, they may saw the idiot I was and they kind of maybe set me up because they knew I was flying down there that afternoon. They're telling me about the bulk constrictors and all the other things. and. I tell you, when I was walking through the woods, every time I'd hear a, a twig go, I'm looking like this, whoa, man, one of those things gonna jump out at me, you know? But here it is, I'm, I'm down there, and you know what, guys, I'm gonna tell you what, I've never had a more exciting breakfast in all my life. These two ladies, older women, not my age, but what God had taken them through and the stories they shared blew me away encourage me, challenge me. And you know what, guys? Not only will we bless other people when we open our circles, we're gonna be blessed. Because we're gonna meet some people, we're like, wow, but we're so tight like this, 
that we're missing that opportunity. And we're not only blessing others, but we're missing out on the enrichment that God has for us.